Welcome to Featured Insights, presented by Caroline Economic Development. I'm your host, Debbie Bowden. This podcast is for all size businesses in Caroline County and the Eastern Shore of Maryland to learn from experts at the local, state, and national level. We hope that you gain insights that can help your business run more effectively. Well, good afternoon. Today is August 15th, 2023, and I don't typically note the date or time, but I have the privilege and honor today to speak with Tom Barkin, who is president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond. And I'm going to ask him to explain what that means and how, why he's here in Caroline County. I'm actually sitting across from him, audience looking at him, because he's here to hear from your representatives and hear about what's going on in the economy in Caroline County. And I just, it's such an honor for you to come to our community to today and hear about the unique things that our business leaders do, the somewhat unique, but then also similar to other areas in the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond's territory that business leaders are, are facing and how the economy is growing. So, you know, everybody knows the Federal Reserve from, uh, it, most people equate it with mm-hmm. interest rates and banking policy and fiscal policy. Um, I'm going to ask if you'll just give a quick introduction of yourself and what your bank does and then why you are here in Caroline County today. Okay. So, well, it's great to be here, Debbie. Thanks for hosting me. Um, I've had a great morning in Denton, and we're heading to Federalsburg this afternoon. So I'm looking forward to learning there uh, as well. Um, For those of you who don't know much about the Federal Reserve, uh, three big things that we do. Uh, One is monetary policy, raising, lowering interest rates in the interests of uh, maximum employment and stable prices. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second thing we do is we oversee the banks in this country. So um, you know, we are the primary regulator for a bunch of banks and, and every bank holding company. Uh, and third is we operate a bunch of the payment rails in this mm. company, the ACH system, the final leg of check processing. So if you get a direct deposit through your ACH, that's almost always a Federal Reserve uh, wire transfers. All okay. those are done through the Federal Reserve. So it's a big operating responsibility sure. as well. So that's that's the Federal Reserve. My district, which is the fifth district, covers Maryland, West Virginia, D.C., Virginia and the Carolinas. Okay. Uh, and I live in Richmond, um, but I'm responsible for those five states in the District of Columbia. Um, and, and I like to say that in Richmond, and you'll see it if you drive down 95, we have a beautiful building, 24 story building. It's quite literally an ivory tower. Okay. And so, in my interest in trying to understand the economy, I don't think I can learn that much from inside the ivory tower. I need to get out into the communities. And so, sure. I'm in. Um, every week that isn't an FOMC week, I'm out in multiple of the communities in our district. This week, um, I was in Baltimore yesterday, but we're going down to Talbot County tomorrow and then Dorchester County okay. uh, on Thursday. And in every place that I go, I'm trying to both understand the economy. We just got out of a lunch session with a bunch of uh, small business owners uh, to understand how they see demand, where they see prices going, how the labor market is working or not working for them, mm-hmm. trends in productivity, trends in banking conditions, um, and also try to understand the communities. One of the things I learned when I first uh, did the job is that um, uh, the employment market, think of it as employment to population, works least well in the small towns. And so I am always trying to go into the small towns in our district and try to understand what's working, what's not working, uh, and where can we invest in research uh, and other, uh, you know, best practice sharing efforts to try to help. Sure. So 
And and we really appreciate, again, you got a chance to talk with our county commissioners who mm-hmm. are business leaders. And so our our listeners are those constituents. And so you had a very engaging conversation with them today. It took more time than we all anticipated because there was a lot of questions and they shared a lot about what they're seeing. And it's not just about what we typically think of from an economic development standpoint of input of labor, input of capital. Today, you're really hearing about the whole gamut, the whole ecosystem that impacts an economy. You've talked about community impact. You've talked about health care, education, and just how that impacts a small community. So can you share some of the maybe one or two things that you've heard today that is similar to what you heard yesterday in Baltimore? And then what is unique about a small area? You mentioned the, the work force mm-hmm. um, that you're hearing that Caroline County does share with other small areas? First thing I'm always looking at is demand. Um, you know, as we try to calibrate interest rates to get inflation under control, you're interested in what the impact is on demand. And there have been lots of predictions over the last year that we might be headed into a recession. And so I'm always trying to ask the question, where are we today? And and I heard the same thing today that I heard yesterday in Baltimore, which is demand is still quite healthy. Okay. And that doesn't mean it's healthy everywhere. Uh, you know, we talked to some people who are in the uh, housing sector who, um, you know, have seen demand slow down. But mm-hmm. across the economy, I still think you're seeing uh, demand healthy. And that's, uh, that's reassuring uh, to know. Another thing that I've heard today that I also hear everywhere is that housing is a challenge. Right. And as uh, house prices uh, went up during COVID, Um, And as housing supply was constrained and as more and more people spent time in their house and therefore wanted more houses or a better house or a second house, um, you know, we've just had a real challenge getting people into housing. So Mm -hmm. both of those are are consistent. I'd say uh, one thing that was really interesting to hear from the commissioners today was about health care and health care access in Caroline County. And they they made the point that uh, we don't have a hospital here. Right. Um, and that creates challenges, of course, for health, but also challenges for the ambulance system and the emergency medical technicians that are in this community. And that was news to me. You know, one of the uh, challenges that small towns and smaller counties have is it's hard to provide everything right, right where you live. Yeah. And so this notion of how do we make a region work, not just a, um, county work or a town work, is something I'm going to spend some time on when I'm in Talbot County tomorrow because okay. I think I'm actually with the head of the hospital system there, and I want right. to understand better, well, how does this work? And if it doesn't work, what do we need to do about it? And if it can work better, mm-hmm. how do we do it? They were talking about um, emergency medical uh, providers you know, having to wait 45 minutes when they got to a hospital, which then, right. of course, takes them out of commission for what they need to be doing in the county. Mm-hmm. Well, that strikes me as the kind of thing that if you had an end-to-end control over a system, you right. could actually do something about it. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, right. that, that, that's definitely one thing uh, that's new. The other thing that was, I mean, it's just great to be on the ground because I'll be with a bunch of uh, farmers this afternoon, but I'm in Denton. I mean, the farms are right here. I mean, right. you know, yes. right, they're not far at all from the developments. And yeah. so, you know, uh, the city, county, or town, you know, rural divide may be much less Mm-hmm. here than I'm used to seeing in other places. So uh, can if we could go off script a little bit and talk about that. <laughs> I was <laughs> right, hoping no you would script. have given me a script, but I have no script. So. Um, you know, I just read an article about that, uh, the, the difference between urban and, and rural and how that, you know, in some cases, that's truly one of the biases that everybody has, that urban is, mm-hmm. you know, crime-ridden and that, you know, it's just young people and there's always a nightlife and there's things to do. 
whereas on the royal side, there's nothing to do. And it, and it's much safer, and that, that could be true. But, um, you know, it's just it's a, the slower pace of life. From an economic standpoint, from a banking standpoint, is there a difference? Do you see the inputs a little and outputs a little different when you have a more urban or a suburban area versus when you're looking at a more truly rural area like Caroline County is? Well, so one of the challenges when you talk about rural is you actually have to define it. And so, you know, the more uh, distant that you define it, the smaller the town, the smaller the community, then, of course, the less scale you okay. have. I was talking about hospitals, but you could think the same thing in terms of shopping or access to education or educational alternatives or amenities or movie theaters or whatever. Um, you know, as I've dug into the small towns in our district, you know, I really have gotten convinced that you've got to think about a region, not a... Uh, a, a town or a community. Right. And that's not how everyone wants to think about it. If you live exactly. in a small town, you want to think about the small town. But I was in Southwest Virginia. I was in Abington, which is a beautiful town. And I was talking to them about um, trying to attract two career couples. And they said, well, you know, uh, there's no airport here. And I said, well, wait a second. I just drove in from Bristol. The Bristol airport's a 30-minute drive. I used to live in Atlanta. I had a longer drive to the airport in Atlanta right. than you have to Bristol. They didn't want to think that Bristol and Abington was part of one market. But I think if you're going to get to scale, scale in amenities, scale in shopping, scale in hospitals, scale in schools, scale, I mean, uh, banks, then you kind of have to think about a region, not just a community. You have to then make the region right. work. And again, I, I recognize that's not a natural act in a lot of towns. Right. I, I think because people have pride of place. Wherever that place is, whether it's in Baltimore and it's a neighborhood and they want to say, this is my place and I want what I want in my place. Or, you know, there's a philosophy here, over here on the eastern shore, especially in the mid-shore region where our largest town is Easton. And a lot of folks go mm -hmm. there to, to shop or they go over state lines, which is, you know, th these geographic boundaries are just for government and tax purposes. They don't really exist for the consumer. Um, but there's this idea that I don't want all the traffic that mm -hmm. something would bring because I want to keep this quiet, this place um, serene and peaceful for myself. So I have that pride in place. But then as for economic development standpoint, I want more amenities so that people see that business owners see that we're legitimate, that we are growing. Mm -hmm. Because having a Starbucks, which we just got the Starbucks in the last 18 months or so, shows that we are relevant um, do you see that in other, or hear that from other rural areas, small towns, yeah. where this concern of too much growth, however an individual defines that, versus not enough growth and there's a contraction? Uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, in a lot of places that have had a lot of growth, there's a from here, not from here divide oh, sure. that becomes a pretty big deal. Um, but but I'll, I'll say the one, the one unifying thought that I hear. Um, in every small town, is people want their kids to stay. Mm. People don't want to lose their kids. And a lot of people push them to go get educated somewhere else or learn something for a few years, but people want their kids to come back. And so when you talk to people about what would it take for your kids to come back, I think that's a unifying theme. And so broadband, which I heard today is being deployed nicely here in Caroline County, yes. broadband's the kind of thing that it's pretty hard to imagine your kids coming back without access to technology. Um, you know, amenities are nothing. People like amenities. People don't dislike amenities, even if you don't want a bunch of people moving in 
to your town. And so I, I think thinking about the things that unify us, and I think bringing your kids back is the kind of thing that unifies, us, helps focus it. And then, you know, there are small towns or small communities that have done development well, and there are mm-hmm. ones that have done it less well. I do think this notion of thinking about a commercial corridor, I was in Cecil County last year, and I don't know whether it's good or bad, or this is what I heard, but they sort of had the notion of we're going to outfit a commercial corridor, and that's where the amenities in the commercial will go, and then we're going to keep a uh, bucolic, you know, uh, 80%, 90% of the county so that we can preserve the stuff we love. And that that actually seemed to make sense to me. I mean, there's not a, a rural community anywhere that doesn't have some commercial corridor. Right. Um, and so building out that commercial corridor for those who want to live commercial and then preserving the agricultural side for those who want to live, I think that, that actually made a ton of sense. You know, I'll just add that um, uh, this work-from-home thing is interesting. Okay. Because we'll, we'll see where it lands, but... There's no question that the ability to work remotely has freed people up to live in all kinds of places. And again, I'll come back to our kids mm-hmm. and where do our kids want to live. You know, our kids can now work and live in our place, even if their job isn't in the right. place. Right. But again, they're only going to do that if there's broadband. They're only going to do that if there are other people of their age who are in the community. Mm-hmm. They're only going to do that if uh, there's a place to eat and a place to drink and a place to shop. And so I think communities are going to compete in this way in a very different way than they have. There's a bit of a talent competition that's different than a business competition. Most of the economic developers have been, i got to build an industrial site, i got to attract a right. manufacturing plant. I think we're going to be thinking a little more, we got to have a Starbucks, we got to have broadband, we got to, and I think those things will work together in a way maybe different than they have historically. Interesting. So how does banking then fit into all of this, particularly in a rural area, with this kind of different dynamic of um, people working from home, not necessarily coming to an area like Caroline County to live, to work in Annapolis, but to stay here. You know, the the services, the the banking, I, I did not know that the Federal Reserve, uh, that you regulated mm-hmm. the, the transfer of money electronically, which mm-hmm. means you don't need the branches, you don't need... What kind of policy outside of fiscal or monetary policy do you see the Federal Reserve System putting in place to help support maybe this new dynamic of how people work and how uh, I love the kids coming back, how Mm -hmm. that will impact um, for that growth? Well, access to banks is important. Um, uh, Access to banks for consumers matters, you know, place to put your deposits that's safe. Uh, access to a mortgage loan or, or a personal loan or a car loan uh, when you need it. Uh, increasingly, uh, the banks have gotten much more technological and mm-hmm. have the ability to provide it remotely. Um, I have two kids who live in two very different cities, and they use the same bank, which has a heavy remote presence, which is in neither of those two cities, um, because you can. Um, right. uh, and so the personal side, it does feel, has become a lot more uh, technological. The commercial side, though, is still very mm-hmm. personal. And, you know, local uh, um, lenders building relationships uh, with folks in the community. And so even those banks that have gotten big are still very much invested in local um, uh, commercial bankers mm-hmm. who are working to try to uh, support those communities. And so I think there's still very much of a role for that. And, you know, our, our policy is about safety and soundness of the banks. And, you know, the banks don't always like regulation, but the spirit sure. of it is 
we want to keep banks around for generations, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to having banks grow quickly and then fail. And so right. if you can create safe and sound banks, that also creates confidence in banks. That's good for the banks. And I think that's good for the communities that the banks are in. Absolutely. And something we talked about at the, during the lunch with the, the business leaders was that um, consolidation of banks. Um, there's been a local merger and acquisition. Um, and and then, of course, everybody heard about earlier this year about some of the failures of some of the banks. You know, people who don't deal with this every day, not just business owners, but those in the workforce, they may think, oh, my goodness, is the banking system broken? Is there a fear of something? What do you, what would you say to someone who's asking you a question? Are banks safe? Are they still good? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, like I said, we oversee all the banks in the district that I talked about, and we're in constant contact with them. And I can tell you, I'm incur- encouraged by the resilience I've seen uh, in those banks. Mm. Uh, you did have three banks fail in March and early April. Uh, I'd, I'd say those three banks had very idiosyncratic business models. Okay. Um, but, you know, the banks out here, they've their deposits are stable. Their uh, loans still seem to be uh, uh, performing. Uh, they have liquidity, and they've invested in uh, making sure they're even more stable. So mm-hmm. I see no reason to have any concerns. Yeah. Go on a completely different topic, and um, you know, if you need us to edit this out, I'm we're perfectly happy to. What is your background? Uh, so you are now the president and CEO of Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond. Um, you didn't come out of college and start doing that, right? Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind, just share a little bit about uh, how you landed in this place. Well, so you don't have to edit out my background. Okay. I, like, <laughs> I like talking about myself. So I grew up in Tampa. I uh, went to public school there and um, uh, applied to Harvard. Uh, as a senior and got in. Uh, and there weren't a lot of public school kids from Florida mm-hmm. up there. So that was a bit of a eye-opening experience. Uh, but I learned a ton. My dad was a lawyer. And so I always thought okay. I was going to be a lawyer. So I went to law school. Um, I was an economics major undergrad, uh, but went to law school and did a joint program with the business school. Uh, graduated and went to work for a consulting firm called McKinsey & Company in okay. Atlanta. And so I was there for 30 years and had a great experience there. I ran our offices in the South uh, I was our CFO uh, for some period of time, and um, I loved every bit of helping uh, the companies that I work with be successful. And hopefully you saw a little bit of the inquiry uh, that I was showing today. Yes. It probably comes from that training. Um, uh, but we had a mandatory retirement age, and so I hit oh, the okay. mandatory retirement age and uh, signed my papers, as they call it, and um, you know had to explore the question of whether I wanted to retire or do something else. Mm-hmm. I was very involved civically in Atlanta and one of the civic things I had done was to be on the board of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. Okay. And I was actually on the board from 09 to 14. I was their chairman from 13 to 14 and started during the financial crisis and that was hugely interesting. It reawakened a, a economics interest that I'd had from college. Um, I saw at a time where the economy was in turmoil a bunch of folks that I really thought were the adults in the room uh, doing what needed to be done to bring the economy uh, back. Interesting. And so I really uh, appreciated the guy who led the bank at the time, Dennis Lockhart, and the culture that I saw. So I wasn't uh, uh, unaware of the Fed. I'd actually seen it a little bit as an insider. That said, I really didn't think I was a potential president of a bank. Um, And then I, I got a call from a headhunter. Uh, the Richmond job was open, and I got a call from the headhunter asking if I'd be willing to talk to him about it. And I said, sure, I'll have a conversation. And by the end of that conversation, I said, sure, you know, throw my name in. 
And I went through an interview process. Um, my last round, by the way, was with Janet Yellen and Jay Powell. Oh, okay. So okay. That, was, that was intimidating. <laughs> um, but I went through an interview process, and they selected me. And I, I, I suspect that part of – I mean, I'm an unconventional choice. Most of my uh, counterparts have PhDs in economics or uh, served in the government mm-hmm. historically, that kind of thing. But I, I think um, – they liked the idea of somebody with a business background who would connect with businesses. I, I did talk about connecting across the district as a real priority oh, that's of great. mine, and I think yeah. uh, they liked that. I talked about bringing the Fed more into communities, mm-hmm. uh, and I think we've tried to do that. Uh, we oversee technology in Richmond for the Federal Reserve System, and I think they liked my business background uh, in doing that, and I've yeah. just had a blast doing it. We have, uh, we have very talented people who wake up every day uh, trying to do the best thing for the American people. And I think that mission-focused is is really prevalent uh, throughout the place. That's exciting. And then it's fun to be in your 60s and doing something right. different from what you did before and feeling like you're uh, completely learning at the same time. Oh, so. that's awesome. Well, I have to say that uh, you, you've been so engaging today with everyone, from the commissioners to small business to community leaders, and and that is impressive that you, you wanted to get out and talk to the community, the real boots on the ground. And, mm-hmm. you know, from your background, um, one could easily think you were from Caroline County because that's how we operate, mm-hmm. you know, unconventional Get, roll up our sleeves and get things done. Talk to people, build relationships. You heard that earlier today. Yeah. So we really appreciate you coming and visiting our small county today, learning what makes us tick, seeing how impassioned we are about making sure that our workforce, our community, our small business owners are successful and thrive. Um, and so it's just been great to, to have you here today. And we're looking forward to our conversation with agriculture, which is the oldest industry in mm-hmm. Caroline County later this afternoon. Tom Barkin, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. And thanks, Debbie, for everything you did to help make this trip uh, what it's been. So appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe to Featured Insights and look for us on your favorite podcast platform.